everybody. This is Rob Benedict. And Richard Spade Jr. And we are at the season finale of season three, episode 16, No Rest for the Wicked. That means Rob Benedict doesn't get any rest. I was going to say the same thing about you, buddy. Too bad. I'm yeah. resting right now because I am the good one. Uh, well, I can't believe we're at the end of season three. And nor can I believe that season three was only 16 episodes. Again, writer's strike struck. And shortened all TV. But I'm having so much fun watching the show, and it's so fun to watch it in context. And, you know, there are moments that I know about, but others that I really have never never knew. And this is nope. one of those episodes. I We've been laughing, we've been joking all season long that Dean's going to die and show's over. And that was a funny to me because in my mind, he wasn't really going to die because it's Dean. No. But at the end of the episode, he dies. Dean dies. Yep, I know. I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait, what? He actually, the, the dogs are tearing him up and I'm going, yeah, but this is, that's a dream. Something, someone's, how do we, ah, well, okay, we're going to go back in time. We're going to, what? No, final shot. Peace in hell. It shows over. Jesus. I know. God bless Supernatural for not tiptoeing up to the line. They leap over it. Yeah. I mean, it really, it, it really blew my mind. Um, so yeah, I had no idea Same. it happened like this. This is all new to me, but let's get into the, how it, how we get here. Yeah. Tell us, Robbie, why don't you do that off the cuff summary that you are so well known for? Okay. Been working on this all night. Dean awakens from a nightmare where he's getting chased by hellhounds. Bobby is able to pinpoint that Lilith is in New Harmony, Indiana. Uh, Sam secretly summons Ruby against Dean's wishes. Ruby tells Sam he has the ability to defeat Lilith without her demon-killing knife. She lets him know that Lilith is, Lilith is taking a little vacation and has her guard down. Dean arrives, he and Ruby get into a fist fight, uh, and Ruby really gives him a beat down. Yeah. However, he is able to discreetly steal her demon-killing knife and contain her in a devil's trap. Is there a name for demon-killing knife, that, or is it just called the demon-killing knife? Uh, no, it's uh, Adam. So, Adam the demon-killing knife. Got it, okay. So Ruby thinks uh, that they're being naive for not using the power inside of Sam. All right, so Dean argues that they, they can't make the same mistake twice and have one of them sacrifice their soul. So they keep right. keep her in, in that little uh, demon trap. Keep her, kept her. Meanwhile, we learn what a demon like Lilith does for fun. She's taken over the body of a little girl, Zoe Fremont, and she's tormenting the girl's parents and grandfather. Brilliantly acted by that little uh, little girl, too. So great. So great and so reminiscent of one of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes ever. But we'll get into that later. Oh, wow. Sam, Dean, and Bobby head to the location. Sam tries to have a heart-to-heart -heart with Dean, but instead they blast Bon Jovi and sing along. That, that, how about that scene? I didn't know that existed. So neither did I. So fun. With Jared pa Padalecki singing? Yeah, that was a trip, too. Hearing him belt out a few tunes. And the other, fu the other funny thing is that Jensen Ackles has sung that on stage with my band, and Jensen has a killer voice and nails it. But as Dean, he almost did it as like someone who not used to singing. Yeah, Dean doesn't have Jensen Ackles singing voice, right. which speaks to Jensen's commitment to character. Exactly, exactly. Would have been easy to be flashy, but he stayed true to <laughs> Dean. Exactly. Um, okay, so while they're on the road, they get pulled over by a police officer, and Dean is able to see that the cop is possessed by a demon and instantly stabs him. Right. Um, so they arrive at the suburban neighborhood where, Lil where Lilith is tormenting the family. Dean sees the demon in the little girl. Ruby shows up, having escaped the devil's trap. It's night, and Sam, Dean, Bobby, and Ruby are now casing the neighborhood. Suddenly, all the neighbors start coming out of their homes. Why? What's with the neighbors, Robbie? They're all demons! 
What? Yeah. Um, it's kind of like your street. Bobby has rigged the Fremont sprinkler system with holy water, which gives Little them- Little side note for people listening, Rob's one of my neighbors. So yes, I agree. <laughs> uh, Bobby's rigged the Fremont sprinkler system with holy water, which gives them a few moments to escape. Sam, Dean, and Ruby run into the Fremont house. Sam almost kills Zoe, but Dean stops him, seeing that she isn't possessed by Lilith anymore. Right. Sam wants to use his powers to face Lilith, Dean refuses. The clock strikes midnight and the sounds of hellhounds can be heard approaching. Sam, Dean, and Ruby run into the dining room and barricade the door. Dean quickly realizes that Ruby is now possessed by Lilith. So the hellhounds arrive and start tearing Dean apart. Dean dies. Lilith turns her attention to Sam, raises her arm, and blasts him with a blinding light. Yep. But Sam is unscathed. He quickly grabs the knife, gra- grabs the knife and approaches Lilith. She tries her power on him again, but he is immune. He attacks with the knife, but she quickly evacuates Ruby's body and gets away. Sam cradles Dean's dead body in his arms, and Dean is in hell, screaming in agony for help. Cue laugh track. <laughs> no, it's a great episode. Sam, we don't even know why Sam is immune to her, do we? No, Sam's got these, uh, these powers yeah. are lingering in Sam. Well, let's just get right into it. It's time for R R Rob and Rich Review. Okay. Um, Okay, go. I feel like I'm going to be the unpopular one here. I thought this episode was a snooze fest until the little girl came in, and then I think the whole thing got awesome. Like, but but it was a lot of people chatting. Uh A lot of people talking about what's going to happen, what's not going to happen, what are we going to do? It just felt like a lot of jibber-jabber and not (laughs) enough. I want a little less talk, a lot more action. That's what I'm looking for. Now that little girl came in and was so good. So good. And and that whole, all, everybody in the family was great. Grandpa was great. And great. it was so creepy. Mom, dad. I loved that. That took the whole thing right up the food chain for me. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what were you thinking? Um, I, I was okay with it. I, I, you know, a lot of times with a with a finale like this, like I said, you're like something big's going to happen. And it takes a little bit, a little while to get going. So it didn't bother me that much. But now that you say mm. that, I, I, I can see that. It wasn't like up there with one of my favorite all-time episodes in terms of, you know, content, but just, just again, in the context of season three, it was as a storytelling. I thought it was pretty epic the way that it ended. Cause I had, I really had no idea that he was actually going to die and get his, you know, insides torn up. And, and we, you know, and we're, and we're going into a realm now that we've never been before. Never been to that realm. Well, that's what I'm saying. As soon as we joined the little girl storyline, the episode was yeah. on, on greased wheels. Yeah. And it was great. But just storytelling, um, storytelling wise, I've really lost myself in the show. So I'm really watching as if I've never, I don't know anything. And, and it's set up that this is the way that it happens. Like Sam and Dean, they're fighting demons, they're fighting ghosts, they're fighting killers and, and they always win. And, and we're, we're basically, we're rooted in a sort of, well, supernatural reality, Yeah. but we haven't gone into the realm where they, they get put into another universe or, you know what I mean? Or in hell or wherever. Right. And so I was just really like, from a storytelling point of view, I'm like, what? It's just I was mind blown a bit that we're like they're going there. Yeah, they are, and they were, and they and they did, and there they are. Uh, so, what do you, from a facial hand standpoint, facial hand, facial, facial hand? hand? <laughs> That's our new metric stick. Yeah. What? What? Whose human face would you want tattooed under your hand? No. What? And from a facial hair uh-huh. standpoint, where are you? It's like uh, uh, you remember the bass player from Primus? Duh. You mean Les Claypool? Yeah. Didn't he have a long chin beard at one point? I don't recall Les Claypool, the front man of Primus, having a long chin beard, but he might have. Who had a long chin beard? 
Pan the Goat God? <laughs> How do you just have Pan the Goat God on your anthrax? Oh yeah, anthrax. That dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I totally remember that. That dude. guy. So anthrax. Okay, so you're you're giving him the anthrax uh, chin beard. Anthrax chin beard because it's different. It's different. I, I really was blown away. I don't disagree that the beginning could have moved quicker, but it just the it, the end blew my mind. So I'm gonna go anthrax. Yep, that's that's a solid review. I'm gonna. I'm, mine is not dissimilar. I'm going Abe Lincoln. Nice beard. But it doesn't all come together. You uh-huh. know, there's nothing uh-huh. really like it, some great moments that make me thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah. It just didn't have that extra little umph yeah. to complete the whole thing and make it yeah. the an elevated episode like so many of them have been. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going Anthrax and Abe Lincoln, everybody. Anthrax and Abe Lincoln. No mustache on this guy, just all chin hair. Yeah. But I can't say enough good things about the creepy girl and how-, how... That little girl was awesome. Yeah. I wonder what, what her, what, what, did her career go on to do great things? Did she quit the business? Like, what's her backstory? Don't, do we know? Don't know. Uh, was she Canadian? Where did they find her? Uh, you know, all the kids have been great. The 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 previous, interesting that Lilith uh, seems to embody little girls. Yeah, she was just super fun, that girl. And she did that turn when talking to her dad. And she's like, don't you like me? Don't you want to live here? That's okay, silly. Yeah, exactly. It's just great. Yeah. Uh, And she like, did she kill an animal upstairs? Is that where there's Yeah, dude, she kills the senior puss. Yeah, (laughs) that's crazy. Uh, But yeah, that was great and spooky. Uh, Even that scene with the mom going like, do it, do it, kill her, do do it. it. Um, and then speaking of turns, I really appreciated the acting of Katie Cassidy as Ruby when then she's embodied by Lilith. And so yeah. it's sort of that subtle turn where yeah, like she's different. Very spot on. Very good. Yeah. Very good job by Katie Cassidy throughout. Yeah. Throughout. Yeah. And uh, and Beaver, Jim Beaver really. Jimmy the know, B Beaver. Elevating into the Bobby that we've come to love, really being their father, their surrogate father. Surrogate dad, um, Bobby Beaver. <laughs> So good. I love. I love when you just go full Ed McMahon on me. <laughs> full what? Ed McMahon. <laughs> so you're, I, I'm just like, uh, yeah. And then and Bobby's great. Bobby, great Bobby. <laughs> Loving Bobby. Really like a sur. Really like a surrogate father. Surrogate father, Bobby. <laughs> um. So yeah. You're a good Ed McMahon to yourself. You do really good. Like this is a one man show. You know. <laughs> Thank you for noticing. Um, uh, let's get right into we we know where we rank this from a from a facial hair standpoint. All right, well we we have such a treat um, to, to to join us today and talk about the episode. There's some there's some low ranking of barely on set person. Rob. No, I'm talking about someone who was the cornerstone of the obelisk that is supernatural, mm-hmm. and that person is Bob Singer. Finally, finally somebody has gotten it right and compared the show to an obelisk. Yeah. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, you're welcome, Bob Singer. He's back. Dude, we don't, you, you don't get bigger than Bob Singer. You're at the glass ceiling at that point. You're talking supernatural. Yes. The executive producer and co-showrunner for all 15 seasons, Mr. Robert Singer. Hey, Bob. Hi, guys. How are you? Good to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. How are you? Let me ask you this, because I know that you're like, you know, you're a man about town. Are you, what state are you in? I'm in the state of <laughs> denial, but... Um, <laughs> Physical state is California. <laughs> and scene. Thanks, everybody. Great interview. That was funny. Well, welcome back to your home state-ish. You're where you live. Um, listen, thanks for being involved in this. This is a crazy, weird season for starters because of the writer strike. And, you know, I just sort of want to touch on that out of the gate. 
what was that like at the time? Sort of trying to navigate if you're going to have a show or not have a show. Like, when did you know you guys were going to park the car at 16 and be done with it? Uh, well, when I had lived through this before, by the way, in um, 1988, and I had a show called Midnight Caller on. And that was the first year of that show and the writer's strike hit. And we did, I think, 16 episodes that year. So I'd been through this before. You kind of know whenever the strike ends, you, you just figure out how many episodes you can get up. There's a lot of squeezing stuff in. You know, you, you're working at a more accelerated pace. And so you sort of worry about the quality of the writing a little bit. But I don't think that really happened. No. And, and was it was it always the plan to, you know, send Dean to hell at the end of the season and all that? Generally, what we would do is we would map out the first half of the season um, and then uh, have a mid-season meeting uh, with all the writers and then figure out the second half. So I can't remember if we knew we were going to send Dean to hell at the end of that year right off the jump. But certainly by right. the halfway mark, we knew we were going to do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it was really a shocker when you're watching because you're going, oh well, it, this you know Dean's going to be saved as always, uh, but no, he he actually dies at the end of the season. Yeah, and you know that um, that last shot of him in in hell screaming is yeah. I, I just think that's one of the most iconic shots in in, in the series for the entire series. It was really yeah, it was really amazing. Uh, I mean, it was great visual effects and. Of course, Kim shot it great. And, uh, yeah. There's a lot about that show that was, I mean, I guess to Rob's point, it just took a more violent turn than when one's used to the TV hero being saved at the end. This was not that show, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, ripped yeah. apart by invisible dogs and, yeah. you know, blood spurting out everywhere. It was, it was hanging from hooks. Yeah. And, and I was that, with, I guess, to follow up on Rob's point, was that by design? Was anything rushed forward because of the strike or was this the arc you guys had laid out? No, this was the arc we had laid out. But like I said, we I don't remember that we knew we were going to do that when we when we started the season. But I'm sure by halfway through, we knew we were going to do that. In terms of the violence of it, Eric used to say, uh, you know, smoke them if you got them. And um, that's what we did. You know, we didn't uh, we didn't hold back on things like that. So, Dude, I, I, first of all, I've always loved that phrase. I didn't I've never heard that in the context of making TV. That's really that's, that's awesome. <laughs> And, and by the way, I'm pretty sure I've heard you say that in the context of making TV while in a foxhole in England. So, like, you know, I think you. <laughs> <laughs> well, since that episode, that pilot, Rich, was all about cigarettes. No kidding. <laughs> and we and we smoked them when we had them. Um, right. So so it's, it's just interesting. I think it's one of those behind the scenes things that people never think about in navigating. You know, we think of a strike happening and like, oh, well, we got to stop work. Really, it's it's like it's like make, it's like doing a figure eight with a cruise ship because it's much more complex than just we'll work and then we'll stop because you still have to design a story that fits into the framework you're going to be using. And, you know, you mentioned that you it was a little expedient at some points. Aside from the writing element, were you ever concerned that was going to adversely affect the production part of it? No, because I think at that point we were a pretty well-oiled machine uh, going into uh, year three. I mean, we certainly had our bumps in the road, and that's something I can get into later. But that part we didn't really worry about because they had – the production pretty much had their lead time. Once we were up and running, they had their normal uh, lead time. We didn't, we didn't rush the start of it so much. The getting the scripts out was was the bigger challenge. Right. And did you know 
at the end of season three, do you know that you're going to be picked up for season four? Or was it, was it, was it still sort of up in the air at the end of every season? I think it, at that point, we were probably um, fairly confident that we would be uh, picked up. We were doing okay. Yeah. I, th- I think we planned on that. That certainly wouldn't have been a way we would have ended. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> right, <series>. right. <laughs> Dean's dead the end. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, we, we were kind of getting picked up. Although we always used to write ourselves into these cliffhangers. And there was always a challenge coming back next year. Because once we wrote ourselves in, into these cliffhangers, we didn't really know how we were going to get out of them. <laughs> I mean, right. we, did, we didn't know what we were going to do in started season four. Oh, interesting. We knew, we knew we would get Dean back, but we didn't know how. Well, and it winds, winds up, you, you got him back in a kind of a, a show-changing way. I mean, introducing Castiel really kind of changed the course of the show a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So you you mentioned bumps in the road. What what bumps in the road do you recall from season three? Well, the, the biggest... <laughs> We had been on the uh, WB for uh, two years, and then they merged with UPN, I think it was called, to become the CW. Right, right. And the WB people pretty much went away, and we were now with new landlords. Right, right. Um, and we got this uh, early on, We well, before the season started, right, was uh, we got this uh, note from the network classic network note we want two women in the show what yeah we want two women in the show and we said well what what do they do and the network executive who will go nameless said i don't care i just want two women in the show so <sighs> we can't have them riding in the back seat of the impala i mean so we came up with the bella character and um and lauren was great and we hired katie who was really great in this show right but getting squeezing this in, you know, and with the Bella character, I thought we, we came up with a really good character, but we sort of realized at a certain point that, you know, she, she kept besting Sam and Dean. She was a really kind of a smart cookie. We said, well, that's not good that our heroes keep getting bested. So we can't continue doing that. Right. And so, it, you know, that then that story took a obviously a, a darker turn. Uh, but right, the first yeah. episode we had her in, I mean, it was really sort of fun and game. It was one I directed um, and it was about the. Uh, the rabbit's foot, I think. Right, right, right. I remember that. Yeah. That was, a fun that was really a fun episode. And she, uh, you know, she was great, Lauren. It turned out okay for her. I guess she had years and years on uh, Walking Dead. Yeah, wa- Walking Dead, yeah. yeah. Well, she seemed to be, uh, you know, Rob and I noticed that she was basically a credited, at least, like a series regular on the show. Yes. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, that was the, the marching orders from the network. It was right. just, it was just the oddest I always felt it was like a 1970s network note. You know, we need a couple of hot babes, and <laughs> yeah, right, right. And the show really wasn't that, so we did we didn't want to pair these people with with whatever these woman characters were with Sam and Dean because we felt that they're these two loners on the road fighting, you know, supernatural entities. And yeah, right. So that that part was a challenge. Yeah, you know, watching the episode again. I kind of fell in love with Lauren all over again, although I mean, she was, you know, it was the darkest side of her. And I thought yeah. Katie was great in the episode. Uh, yeah, they're, they're they're both. I'm a fan of both of them. A hundred percent. They both do a great job. I think job it's tricky when you have. I think what it is too for the fans is tricky when you have a character who clearly, like you said, is besting the boys or at least going against them. And you know, no one likes that. You want you're just rooting for Sam and Dean. So I think that's what was tricky about Bella. But yeah, I think she's just lovely. She's great. And and I know that Rob. Was a fan of hers in Walking Dead. She's a very talented actress. I will say that as Rob and I have gone through to review all the episodes this year, 
this season, about this season. There have been a lot of chin scratching on both our parts, mainly me, I guess, but about what her point is. And so you saying all this makes a lot of sense. Lots of sense, I've been yeah. going, I don't, like, out of nowhere, there's somebody who's like series regular credit in the show, just kind of comes in and is snarky and then leaves. I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. It, it just seemed, and then, and then when you guys did the episode where she reveals her backstory, like she had Lilith came to her and she had an abusive father. I'm like, oh man, that's great. I mean, like getting to know her a bit really helped flush out her whole journey, which I thought was really cool. Anyway, it makes sense. This is very enlightening and and it sort of tracks with how we've been perceiving the character throughout this season as we rewatch the show. It's sort of like, uh, she's awesome. She's talented. She's great at what she's doing, but I'm still not sure what's going on. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, and you were right. We didn't have her backstory at all when we we started. I mean that that we made that up later, you know. Yeah. And I think it, it it turned out you know really well. And you kind of feel bad for her at the end. You even do she, completely, yeah, you completely. Know, um, even though she made this terrible deal that she made as a child, but um, yeah, yeah, we've all made bad deals, Bob. You know what I'm saying? Tell me about it, Rich. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, well, you know, I I thought in the end it, it turned out pretty well. I mean the way we. Um, the way we resolved all that but uh, yep. it, it was a challenge it was a real i mean eric and i were gonna you know put two women in the show we're kind of looking at each other like jesus what do we do with that yeah yeah that's odd uh but you guys did a great Katie, job i mean i was certainly yeah. both actresses are have been massively successful in their own right and are great were great additions in like you found a way to make it work i see why that's a big curveball though you know you guys ended up with a bunch of Great guest stars in season three. Season three was uh, basically like it was a discovery show. You guys were finding people and then they'd go off to be TV stars. Sterling K. Brown, Charles Malik Whitfield. Obviously Lauren Cohen and Katie Cassidy. I mean, that's pretty awesome. I always think that Supernatural had a really great track record of getting guest stars who then went on to do big things. That's true. Um, Certainly Sterling has grabbed the brass ring. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. And he was great to work with. I I like him a lot. He... um, This is really off the wall, but we were shooting in a, in a high school, and we were between the uh, setups, we, we we sort of camped out in the in the gym where we had makeup and hair and all that. And Sterling and I played a a two on two basketball game against Jared and Lou Bolo. I don't know if you remember Lou, the of course the, we do. the stunt yeah. coordinator. Yeah, and um, <laughs> Jared was obviously dominating with his height. But but Sterling was taking him inside and, you know, they beat That's us pretty fair. good. But and Lou was banging me around. It was a really, you know. And so you go, OK, we're ready. Right. And I'm going, OK, we'll be right there. Well, I, I can imagine Jared's Dude, sweating. Jared sweats when he stands still in an on an iceberg. Like, yes, that's true. That must have been makeup must have been ready to kill you. Oh, yeah, they weren't happy. They weren't happy. No. You know, speaking of Katie Cassidy as Ruby, she has a great turn in this episode where you get to see her as Lilith as well. So I thought she did a great job. Oh, yeah. Um, now, she doesn't come back as Ruby. Was that – do you recall why? Was was she booked on something else for the next season? I, I think she may have been booked on something. Um I really don't totally remember, but I would I would imagine that she was because I thought that she was really terrific and we probably would have uh, brought yeah. her back. And I think we were down at Comic-Con one year, which, as you know, I avoided like a plague. Uh-huh. I, I saw Katie at a, a party and she thanked me for 
kind of, you know, she says, you got, you guys really got me off the ground with that part. You, you, you know, it, it, and this was a number of years later and I hadn't seen her in some time, but uh, she remembered me and, and was, was oh. thankful for, for us giving her that. And I guess that, I guess that part kind of just gave her a, just a little bit more of a nudge and, you know, and then yeah. it became a little more successful for her. So um, she was a sweet girl. She was really a sweetheart. Oh, I mean, she could play nice. evil really well, but she was mm -hmm. in, in real life. That was not her at all. Yeah. She does this subtle shift when she goes from Ruby to Lilith, I thought was really terrific. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, she was terrific. I mean, she could, you know, and she could do things with her eyes, as you guys as actors know. That's, you know, the eyes can tell a lot if you're really on it. And, uh, right, 100%. You know, she, would, you know, she would just do it. You know, and that's a God-given gift, I think. I don't know. I don't know. No, how that you, is sort of the, that's the it that. thing, right? Like if the eyes are doing something while everything else is doing something else. It's that, you can't teach that. Right. Speaking of guest stars, uh, also, Bobby, I feel like Bobby's role has shifted to, from a guy that, just a guy that knew dad to really more of a paternal figure. Yeah, like right throughout the season. Yeah, it kind of, yeah, he elevated. Yeah, and really kind of solidified kind of at the end here and the beginning of next season. Was that by design? No, that was, um, the part was supposed to be a one-off and that's why Eric thought it was very cute for it to name him after me. Right. I was away shooting and uh, this became a, a surprise to me. The only thing that I added to that was is you should hire Jim Beaver for this part because uh, Jim's great. Yeah. And Jim and I had worked together quite a bit. So yeah, the body character sort of, uh, you know, evolved. And when you get to an actor like Jim, you want to give him as much uh, stuff as you can and, and, and deepen the character other than just kind of making him a, you know, a source of information. Right. And, uh, you know, being a surrogate father really worked. What was also good and from a production standpoint is because, you know, we never had any standing sets. So once we built Bobby's house to be able to go back to that set was production wise was useful. Right. I feel like in seasons one, two, and three that you took a couple of runs at having established characters that you would then systematically kill off. But like Ellen and Joe, obviously we talked about Bella, the ghost facer kids, but Bobby really was the, the guy who won the horse race in terms of sticking around. Is that just something you discover in the writer's room? Were you paying attention to network notes? Was it fan response? Like how, how did you end up landing on, okay, we're going to stick with Bobby. We're going to, that's going to be our, our, our mentor guy. Well, that character, uh, well, let me, let me back up in terms of these guest stars and um, giving them sort of running things. One of the things that we found in year one was that Sam and Dean were like in every scene. And it was it was hard on the guys. And, you know, then we said, well, maybe we can split them up. So they, uh, on occasion, so they can get some days off. But also being able to spend time with these guest stars also gave the, the guys a break because it's really was really sort of a first person show that were they were our eyes and ears throughout. Right. You know, And that was right. really kind of that, that was a that was a tough thing for them to do. So right. that really started us on a li little bit on the guest star thing. Well, what we what we realized, and you know, and it became true with other characters, and certainly Castiel and um, the Mark Shepard character, is that when somebody hit, when somebody, you know, just kind of stuck out and said, wow, they're really good, then we said we, we should bring them back and we should do more stuff with them and, you know, broaden the show. And it also uh, became uh, good fodder for storylines and, and all that. So, you know, it was a bit of a lottery about who would... Uh, who would get the return more often uh in jim's case th that was a no-brainer and obviously with uh, with misha that was a no-brainer and mark shepherd 
God bless his soul. He's still alive, Bob, you know. <laughs> no, I know, I know. But, uh, <laughs> again, Mark, may he rest in peace. No, no, it was not a may he rest in peace. <laughs> we'll be right back. Thanks for supporting Supernatural then and now. And now, back to the show. I know you're saying it's a no-brainer, but you watch, you go back now through the lens of history and watch those Ghostfacer characters are fantastic. The the whole Harvell's bar set with Joe and Ellen and Ash, and that was really fun and interesting. And really, it could have gone. I mean, Harvell's could have stayed there and become a home base, theoretically. You know what I mean? Yeah, it could have. I don't know. Eric and I just weren't crazy about it somehow. We just wanted to move on, I think. Yeah. Um, well, you obviously was, made the right you know, choice because the show continued to, you know, weave and bob its way through successful storylines. But it's just interesting watching, going back, if you're Rob and Rich, you're watching and going, huh, I wonder why they didn't land there. Because this seems to work. We're obviously not behind the scenes of the whole thing, but, you know. Well, we would always go for, you know, you'd say you go where the story takes you. You know, yeah. I thought the end of um, the way that thing ended was really dramatic with um, yeah. with Harvell's. It was, um, you know, and that was that. That's good drama. So um, absolutely, you know. So the, I forget what writer said. You know, you you have to kill your darlings, but that was yeah an, an example of that. Walt yeah. Whitman, I think that was Walt Whitman. No, I don't think so, Rich. But uh, <laughs> we, can, we can look it up later. I love his scripts, by the way, Walt Whitman's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know he did a great job on that. Huh? Um, um, do you remember? Was there a conversation with Eric uh, and Kim about what hell would look like? You know, the the this episode ends, like you said, with that uh, that shot of Dean hanging in hell. At one point, it was going to be a slaughterhouse. We're told. Uh, yeah, we didn't. Um, memory dims on that, but. Um, mm. And we arrived at, you know, the, you know, just have them on hooks. Yeah. The visual effects department came up with this, you know, this crazy geometric. And, yeah. um, and you know, we just loved it. It, was, it just yeah. somehow was was great, you know. As yeah. you know, you know, we, we shot Hell often, many, you know, in, in subsequent seasons. And sure. Hell became what whatever it is we wanted it to be, which I think worked out, you know, well. But I, I, I love the uh, Hell with the throne room and Mark and the hallways in hell and all that. That's always, yeah. yeah. Um, I think that was a image of hell that no one would have conceived except, uh, you know, but we did for whatever, but it worked story-wise, you know, if you're going to be the king of hell, you need a throne and a throne room. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's always cool. And, and, and this was all visual effect, I assume, except for Jensen. I mean, whatever he was laying on it, the whole thing was, was a virtual space. Is that correct? Yes. Exactly. Yeah, and it leaves it open. It le- it's it's it leaves it open that you can kind of do whatever the subsequent seasons. I don't think we knew at the time we were go- we were probably going to go back to hell. You know, right. I think once we got him out of hell, that was probably the it for hell. Turned right. out no, but you know, and what Kim did with the uh, with the camera there and turning it upside down and moving in. I mean, it was really uh, it, it, you know into that close up of Jensen screaming for Sam. It was pretty moving. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, and Jared's uh, reaction there is so great, too, as Sam, very emotional in that final scene when he's holding Dean's body. Yeah. I thought he really nailed that. Yeah. Um, We talked about this briefly before, but the 
the structure of a season for Supernatural really took a shift between seasons three and four because, you know, Monster of the Week became less of a priority and the dynamic between heaven and hell was introduced as the main driving force. Was this, was that a discussion? Did you guys go, okay, we're going to introduce this Castiel character and, you know, bring heaven into it? Do you remember any of that? I don't think that we had foreseen where that would necessarily go. Eric was resistant to having angels in the show. Ah. And I used to say to him, well, I don't know, we got demons. Don't you need angels if you have demons? You know. And finally, when we realized that Monster of the Week might get old, that we needed a, an overarching thing a little more. You know, I mean, it originally started out to search for dad, and that was the, you know, that was the, right. the arc of the year. But that we needed something more because Monster of the Week, Erico used to originally said, you know, well, if the monsters are Googleable, and uh, but I think we've uh, we've run out of Googleable monsters, you know. <laughs> so, so, so making it, you know, less episodic and having a bigger through line, we knew we wanted to do that. Whether that was going to be heaven, you know, we didn't know that Castiel was going to you know, hit the way he hit. But again, right. you know, you got that character, you, you get Misha and you go, we, you know, we got to exploit this. This, this stuff is too good to just let yeah. go. You know, we didn't have any grand plan like that when we brought him in, but, it, but it quickly became, this is fertile ground right here. Yeah. Well, it's interesting watching it in context too. You don't, you don't feel, you're not getting tired of the stories being told. You didn't, you didn't know you needed the shift and then it happens. You're like, oh, wow, it's mind blowing, you know? And, and right. so enjoyable. And I, I feel like at this point in the, in the show too, you've, you've completely hit your stride and everyone's working top notch and it's just, it's Jordan in the mid nineties, you know, it's, uh, it's really terrific. And you just go like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's, you know, every episode feels iconic, you know? Well, one thing we learned about the monsters, which, uh, is that, we we get we gave the monsters their own story, right? And so we would cast some really good monsters. So it didn't it didn't matter if we repeated a vampire or repeated this one because he had a, you know that guy had his own story. That monster had his own story. Eric used to say every every villain is the hero of his own story. Right. We we, we tried to infuse that into those things. So rather than trying to come up with some made up kind of new monster, we we could just go back to some old tropes, but give them personality and give them their own story. That was really one of the keys to our being able to be successful for as long as we were. Yeah. The the demon hierarchy uh, got pretty complex because there's all di these different types of demons like the yellow-eyed and the black-eyed and red-eyed, <laughs> and some of them turned white. Was that yeah? Was that like uh, something you had to keep track of? Yeah, well, you know, I didn't, but somebody <laughs> in the office did. <laughs> um, so it was, it was, there was a thought behind it, like, okay, this. Well, yes, we we started realizing that demons needed a hierarchy. You know, they needed a boss. They needed underlings. Right. They needed, you know, what right. was the, what was the common demon? What was, you know, right, the, right, right. You know, there was the demon that would go out and make deals. That was originally Mark's character. It was, he was, you know, the deal-making demon for souls. Um, and it, it just kind of, you know, expanded from there. It was, um, you know, totally organic. And, you know, none of it was planned way, way in advance. You know, we just said, well, suppose we do this, or maybe we should do that, or, you know, or visual effects would come up where the eyes would turn white. And you go, oh, that's cool. You know? yeah, <laughs> so. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it uh, works really well. I mean, you, you definitely feel like it's almost like insects. Like, you know, there, you have the drones and you have the, the you know, the hierarchy. And it, it definitely helps you disseminate between 
strata of demons yeah. when you're, you know, basing it on something. I'm just always just impressed with the effects because it looks great. It looks great. It looks so good. So ahead of its time. You, you guys are going to be moving into season four, I guess. Yeah. It's going to take you 15 years to get through all 15 years the way it's going. But Yeah, um, yeah no kidding. <laughs> season four was not fun. I can tell you that. The not show, fun? Not fun. The show was good, but there was internal trouble and it was oh. yeah. this is the year that it's the year that cyrus was gone and the other guys took over right that's correct and cyrus yeah, was yeah, gone yeah. that was that was an edict from the studio uh, they they cyrus could not get along with the production department um, what did cyrus do cyrus was our uh, our producer our, our, he was jim michaels he was the jim michaels uh, okay and, like the line producer it's not like we ever went terribly over budget on any in a year you know we were doing fine but cyrus just rubbed these people the wrong way and um so they, they had us make a change okay wow it's funny because uh, uh creatively i know that season four has some of people's favorite episodes oh no the, the year it was creatively a really good year and getting dean out of hell was really cool the way we did yeah. it and um you know, I see here you introduced uh, the character of Chuck, which I know was a huge bit uh, of a nosedive uh, in the show's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, arc. if you look at the ratings for the Chuck episodes, they're not quite up to the. <laughs> other ones. But yeah, then we brought Chuck in. Um, <laughs> no, creatively, it was a it was a good year. Um, in spite of that. No, 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 Rob. You know, you, you were one of the both of you guys were. Well, we should got to stick with this guy. These guys bring something to the show. Um, so yeah, no, creatively, uh, it, it was fine. It was also the year that uh, you know Kim passed away, so that yeah, was, yeah, you know, so it was a hard year for That's us. Right. It really was. We were. Yeah. It was not a happy time. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, you know, as being a, a guest star in season four and coming on and not knowing anybody, you, you you treated the guest stars so well. You really didn't. You couldn't tell at all as a guest, you know, in your house um, that there was stuff going on. I, I know. I remember too that. Kim had just passed away and then someone sort of mentioned it to me, but it was, you know, the morale was still there, you know, to, to get the job done. Yeah. You know, and I, listen, the, I always say there's uh, three jobs that can really screw up a set. One is uh, the lead actor. The other is um, the DP and you can really have an asshole producer on set. Our show, you know, the, the, the lead actors were always great and the DP was great and brought a thing onto the set. And, and you know, and I, I was for me, an unhappy set is I, I just I, I won't tolerate it. You know, when we go yeah. when, we, when we go to work that, you know, you're with you're with these people more than you're with your family. Yeah. And it's got to be a uh, pleasant place to work. And I, I just demand that. And if there's an asshole that, that's screwing things up, I, I, I just get rid of them automatically. It's just not it's not worth it to, you know, to go through that. Um, yeah. So, you know, and I, and I like to think all, you know, all of the shows I do have that thing going for it. I, I'm just uh, I'm a real stickler for that. So, uh, yeah. So, so yeah. even though there was a lot of turmoil, the the. the the set was always, it was like a haven. It was a good place to be. Yeah. Yeah. That matters a lot. And it shows in the, in the product, quite frankly. Yeah. It certainly does. It's too hard to be miserable. Like it's, it's not making these shows is not easy, man. You guys, every episode, you guys challenge yourself creatively and cinematically. It was, it's super impressive to go back and watch. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you guys are enjoying it. 
We are. <laughs> Good. We really I'm are. I tell you, wait. One of the highlights is getting to talk to you, man. Seriously. Absolutely, Bob. Um, uh, Bob, I hope you'll come back and join us again because your stories are always uh, insightful and fun. <laughs> I'm uh, happy to do it, guys. Uh, always good to see you. I'd love to see you guys in person one of these days. And uh, I would love that. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. This is Jensen stopping in to say hey and let you know that we've got to take a quick break. I'm about to pop. Hey there. Thanks for listening. Now, back to the episode. Bob's so great. I love Bob. Dude, I could listen to Bob read from the phone book. I just love the man. He's hilarious. So knowledgeable. So knowledgeable. Knows so many things about so many things. Fascinating guy to have on. And just a great dude. Just so funny. So smart. So funny. Feels very lucky to know him. Indeed, indeed. Call him a friend. Um, Yeah. All right. All right. Do your thing, Rich. What's next? And now it's... Now again, once again, it's time for the segment of the program that I like to call what it is officially called. Mythology! Okay, lots to talk about here. In this episode, we we see a great scene where Bobby gets holy water into the sprinkler system. That's a lot of blessing of a lot of water. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, In this, in many of the battles the brothers fight, holy water is often used. Yeah. The concept of holy water is common to many faiths and cultures. I thought it was really clever, by the way, if I may say. That was a great, yeah, great. Um, uh, In Hinduism, water represents God, or in this case, Rob Benedict. Water is the holiest in the Hindu river. Mm-hmm. It is thought to purify the soul and combat evil. That's right. Mm-hmm. And in Islam, holy water is mostly used for healing and curing both physical and spiritual ailments. In Buddhist traditions, holy or blessed water is used in almost all of their rituals and ceremonies. In many Wicca traditions, salt is mixed with water and it comes to symbolize the brine of the sea which is celebrated as the womb of the goddess and is used in magic rituals. And finally, in Christian faiths, though water is mentioned in both the Old and New Testaments and was used for baptism and purification purposes, the first writing about it appeared around 400 AD in the Apostolic Constitutions, which is supposedly written by St. Clement of Rome. There it is written that it can be used to banish demons— it has developed to play a central role in exorcisms and mm. television shows. Indeed. You are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to holy water, Mr. Spade. Well, I mean, I just, what can I say? I love my water. I love to hydrate, and I like it to be holy when I do it. Um, well, I, I do I do love how Bobby uses it in the sprinkler system. I thought that Very was Very clever. Really, yeah. All right, let's get into the fun facts. <laughs> So the title, No Rest for the Wicked, comes from a 1988 Ozzy Osbourne album of the same name. The term paraphrases a Bible verse, Isaiah 48, 22. There is no peace, saith the Lord unto the wicked. So No Rest for the Wicked, the reason why we know that phrase is from an Ozzy Osbourne album? I feel like it was floating around before that. But is that really what, like... Well, I think... I feel like we, it's an old saying with people like, ah, there's no rest for the wicked. Yeah, it's an old you know? saying, but I think in terms of uh, Eric Kripke's name, uh, titles of episodes, he likes to use right. rock references. So I think you in know, this case Did you see that the Bible, where it's quoting the Bible verse, there is no peace, there's no peace. There's no peace. There's no peace. There's no peace, saith the Lord. I'm glad Lilith isn't involved in this. That's my point. I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah. There's no peace, saith Lilith, unto the wicked. Saith the Lilith. Saith the Lilith. Uh, yeah, there's, uh, yeah, I, I just laughed at 
I feel like there's no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. I feel like it was a game of telephone that took that to no rest for the wicked. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Did you know the original title of the episode was going to be No Quarter? Yeah. uh, Well, I love that song and I love that uh, title. Oh, man. Hum No Quarter. I can't hear that. I'm not hearing it. It's got that great riff. uh, It's off of the double album. Physical Uh, Graffiti? Yes. But give me the, just hum it or something. Remember that? Are there lyrics? No quarter. I don't know that song. That's so interesting. Uh, so also, fun fact, at one point, Ruby declares, hit me with your best shot. Hit me with your best shot is a 1980 Pat Benatar song. Patricia Benatar nailing it. Yeah. Well, you're a real tough cookie with a long history mm-hmm. of take breaking little hearts like the one in me. Mm-hmm. Hey, Robbie, mm-hmm. before you put another notch in your lipstick case, okay. you better make sure you put me in my place. All right. Hit me with your best shot. Promise? As long as your best shot's from your non-dominant arm, <laughs> then yes. And Sam and Dean... Sing the song Wanted Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi. Jared Padalecki starred with Bon Jovi in the 2005 film Cry Wolf. Bet you didn't Padalecki. Bet you didn't know that. Wanted. That's good. Lilith, Keeping the Family Hostage, is an homage to the 1961 Twilight Zone episode. Ah. It's a Good Life. Which you mentioned. Based on the 1953 short story written by Jerome Bixby. Uh Uh-huh. No relation to Bill. In it, a child with godlike powers keeps a group of frightened adults captive who must keep smiling and thinking good thoughts or risk death. This episode was included as a remake in the 1983 Twilight Zone, the movie. Zoe Fremont's name is a reference to the little boy played by Billy Moomy in... It's a good life. The Simpsons did a spoof of that episode in one of their Halloween horror episodes as well. Uh, of this, um, of this, uh, it's a good life. Okay. Yeah, when Bart was like, could do whatever he wanted, and you're like, it's good that you did that, boy. It's good, you know. Uh, that, I remember that Twilight Zone episode. It was super creepy. Really? Uh, I, 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 Billy Moomy, who went on to be uh, the kid in Lost in Space. Okay. I I didn't uh, I didn't remember that episode. Interesting. And I oh, go back and watch it as uh, Twilight Zone. It's really creepy. And I remember the Twilight Zone movie, and I don't remember it from that either. That was the one that had the they re- also remade uh, Gremlins, in the airplane. Yeah, I, Gremlin on the airplane with John Lithgow instead of yeah. uh, William Shatner. But exactly. I don't remember that from the movie either. I, I'm huh. with you, but I remember the original. Um, I remember the original. Interesting. Uh, Todd Lockwood, who is an illustrator made famous for his artwork in Dungeons and Dragons books and the Magic the Gathering card game, drew the illustration of the Hellhounds in the book Dean Fell Asleep Reading. Oh, that's cool. I did take note of that, that it was just a fantastic picture. That's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. This episode takes place on May 1st and May 2nd in 2008. Sam's 25th birthday is May 2nd, 2008. Coincidence? What? I think not. Wow. Mind continually blown. 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 Wow. Those certainly were fun facts. Those are not just facts. Those are fun uh-uh. ones. They're fun facts. Yeah. Well, this was, uh, yeah. This Anytime is you get Bob Singer on a podcast, you got a good show. You know what I said? Uh-huh. Yep. You said it, and I agree with it. Yeah. All right, buddy. Well, that's it for season three. We will, uh, be back with a season three wrap-up episode. Yeah, so, we will. When we wrap it all up, 
or as the fabulous Thunderbirds like to say in their blues classic, wrap it up. Yep. I was going to say the same thing. You took it right out of my mouth. Liar. The old Thunderbirds. So, yeah. So stay tuned for that, and we'll see you shortly. We'll see you later, everybody, for the wrap-up. This episode of Supernatural features Jared Padalecki as Sam Winchester and Jensen Ackles as Dean Winchester. Guest stars included Katie Cassidy, Jim the Bee Beaver, Sierra McCormick, George Coe, Jonathan Potts, and Anna Galvin. No Rest for the Wicked was written by Eric Kripke, directed by Kim Manners. Editing by Anthony Pinker, music by Jay Greska. Executive produced by Eric Kripke and Robert Singer. The original broadcast of the episode featured the following songs. Carry On Wayward Son by Kanzas. <laughs> and Wanted, Dead or Alive by Bon Hovai. That's right. This episode originally aired on May 15th, 2008. This episode of Supernatural Then and Now was hosted and executive produced by Richard Spade Jr. and Rob Benedict. Produced by Stephen Hine, written by Stephen Hine and Hayda Holscher. And edited and associate produced by Trey Booty. What's up, Booty? Music provided by Tim Wynn. The episode was recorded with the help of Sonic Fuel Studios. This podcast is from Story Mill Media. Follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at SPN Then and Now. And please do yourself a solid and us a solid and become a member of the podcast at www. That's right, the World Wide Web. Patreon.com slash SPN Then and Now. But you don't have to put in the W's. Okay, thank you so much. But By the way, may we just tip our cap to uh, producer Steve Hine when typing this summary for the proper use of the umlaut. Thank oh, yeah. You, over naive. Yeah. 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 And I, I, you heard it in my pronunciation, right? I did. I was like, yeah. what, is there, do we have a Nordic guest host? <laughs> no, that's just Rob Benedict. Yeah. Tapping into his umlaut center. That's right. Story Mill Media. 